Praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, guys. Glory to God. I guess you can be seated. This is not only Sunday night, but this is Sunday night, Pentecost Sunday. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know, um, going back, uh, John, the uh, fourth chapter, on verse 14, I believe it is, where, uh, you know, Jesus, he's, he's at the well in Samaria there, and here's this woman. He asked her to get him a drink of water, and, and she says, well, who are you, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan, to get you some water? You know, you don't have any dealings with us. And he said, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd be asking me for water. He said, the water you got, he said, you'll thirst again. He said, the water I've got will be a well of living water springing up unto, what? Everlasting life. He said, I got some water, nothing like your water. It'll be a well. What did he say? It'll be a well. Remember that. Now, he said, what I got, it'll be a well of living water springing up under eternal life, everlasting life. We'd call it the new birth. He's, he's, he's prophesying ahead of time what's going to be available. Okay, so this is good. What, I, what I've got for you, change your life. It'll be a well of living water springing up under everlasting life and all that. That's John 4, but then you get just a little ways down the road, John the 7th chapter. Verse John 7, you know, uh, 37, he said, uh, that last day, that great day of the feast, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried. See, he just shared that with that woman. Now he's preaching something. That last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, if any man thirst, if any man thirst, he didn't say everybody's thirsty. He said, if you are, if any man thirst, let him come unto me, let him drink. He that believeth on me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall what? Flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, that they that believed on him should receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, for Jesus was not yet glorified. Now he's talked, right now, he's talked about two different experiences. One is a well springing up inside for you, for everlasting eternal life. The other one is when you get so full, it, it, it turns into rivers that flow out for others. So he's telling about these two things. So you take that, and then uh, you go a little further. And we know from, you know, uh, I believe Matthew's gospel, I think it's the fifth chapter. He said, blessed are, are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, because they're going to get filled. Anybody thirsty in here tonight? Anybody, anybody ready for a good filling? A good filling, a good refilling, a good overflow? Any, anybody ready to go beyond the wells and step over into the rivers? Hallelujah. <laughs> Not a river, rivers. Lots of rivers. Hallelujah. So anyway, you can see back there where uh, I'm just going to kind of weave through a few things here, and then we're going to see where it all goes. But uh, if you go back through there, you'll see where, where uh, uh, you know, through the scriptures, you know, Jesus is instructing his disciples, and he's, you know, he's telling them what's coming, and, and uh, you know, he, he's... He's gone to the cross. He's redeemed us, died on the cross, buried, descended into the depths of hell, paid the price, defeated Satan and all of his cohorts, whipped the devil, spoiled principalities and powers, came busting up out of the hell, out of hell, had the keys of death, hell, and the grave, did that, came, came and now he's born again, and now he comes and he shows up to his disciples, uh, and he says, uh, he breathes on them, John's gospel, I believe it was, he breathes on them, says, receive you the Holy Ghost. All right, he's died, he's been buried, he's been raised from the dead. They believe he's alive. He breathes on him, says, receive ye the Holy Ghost. I think it's pretty clear that his disciples at that point were born again. All right? 
I mean, how do you get born again? You believe in your heart, say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, God raised him from the dead. They met the qualifications, the new birth. Because of his resurrection, the new birth's now available. So anyway, so anyway, so he, you know, so this is good, but then he tells them, he's, I think it's the 24th chapter of Luke, uh, Luke's gospel, he said, uh, now, okay, he says, uh, now, tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. They got the wells on the inside. He says, now go for the rivers. Tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Okay? Now, they didn't know what that meant. Nobody had ever been baptized in the Holy Ghost before. Nobody had ever spoken in tongues before. Nobody had ever received this endowment of power from on high. They didn't know what this was, didn't know what it looked like. All they knew is the master has been raised from the dead, and, and now the new birth is available. And he didn't, just, he didn't just say, go preach the new birth, tell everybody. I mean, we know he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes us, baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. These signs follow them that believe. We know all that's in there. But yet he told his disciples, he said, you got what you need, but don't stop now. Tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Can't you just, can't you just see the disciples, you know, heading down the road, Somebody says, where are you going? Says, we're going, we're going, you know, Jerusalem. What are you going to do in Jerusalem? You know, they're not real fond of you people now, okay? What are you going to do in Jerusalem? We're going to tarry. What are you going to tarry for? We're going to be tarry. We're going to, going to uh, he says, uh, tarry in Jerusalem. We're going to tarry. For what? I don't know. Don't know what we're going to get. Tarry in Jerusalem. What are you going to get? We're going to get endued. You're going to get, what's endued? I don't know. <laughs> what are you going to get endued with? Power. Power from where? On high. What's, what's power from on high? I don't know. Don't know. All I know is the one that died for me, the one that was buried for me, the one that was raised from the dead for me is the one that told me, breathed on me, said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. I'm now born again. I'm a child of God. But he said, tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. I don't know what it means. I've just, everything else he said has worked. I'm going to follow his instructions on this one. So what he did was he talked to them. Really, he equipped them with the well of living water springing up to everlasting life. Now he says, all right, now let's go get the other part. Let's go head for the rivers. All right? Let's go get endued with power from on high. So anyway, so we get down here and we see over in uh, the book of Acts. We see back here, we see where they've gone to the upper room. All right? They've watched him work miracles. They've watched him, they've, they've listened to him teach. They've watched him work miracles. He's been there. God had this plan put up. He had three major feasts. There was the the, uh, the Feast of Passover, there was the Feast of Pentecost, and then, of course, the Feast of Tabernacles. Won't get into that, but, you know, they, they, they were, you know, they, they celebrated the, the, the Passover with him, and then he said, now, there's another feast that's seven weeks later, the Feast of Pentecost, and, uh, they, they, you know, and really, if you go back through um, in the Old Testament, I believe it's Exodus 23rd chapter, Pentecost is also, the Feast of Pentecost is also referred to as the Feast of Harvest. All right? And so they're getting all this figured out. I don't know what I'm going for. All I know is that he's equipped me this far, and he's told me to tarry in Jerusalem until I'm a dude with power from on high. I don't know what that is, but I'm not really interested in heading in the streets because they crucified him just a little while back, and I'm one of his followers, and I don't think I want to go put my head on the chopping block right now, so I'm glad to go to the upper room. So they headed up there. There's about, ended up, must have been a pretty good-sized one because there's about 120 up there. And they went up there, and, uh, you know, they watched him for, this is a seven-week deal. They've gone from, from Passover to Pentecost. It's about seven weeks. 
They've been with him, you know, when he was raised from the dead for 40 days, watched him work miracles, undeniable miracles. And so what we figured they had about seven days. Can you imagine? Some folks, if we said, God's got something for you, but you're going to have to come to church and you're going to have to wait on God seven straight days. Do you know how many church folks we'd lose over that? I can give you one, I can give you two, but I do not have seven days, you know, to... So anyway, so they headed for the upper room. Best we can figure, they're up there for seven days. Where they're, they're one heart, one mind, one accord, one purpose. They're all up there. They're waiting for something. They don't know what it looks like. That's, that's kind of how I feel right now. There's something in the wind. There's something. The wind's about to blow again. The wind that blew on the day of Pentecost is about to blow again. Hallelujah. The fire that fell on the day of Pentecost is about to fall again. Hallelujah. Uh, somebody sent me. I'll get back to this in a minute. Somebody sent me, oh, probably a year ago, sent me a, a, uh, an audio bite that I don't know where they found it. I looked it up. I actually ended up finding it on YouTube. And it was um, uh, Kenneth E. Hagan, Brother Hagan. Um, it was 1963. I, I don't have a clue where he was. But uh, he said he was talking about this. He was prophesying on this in 1963. He, uh, he's in a meeting somewhere, and he said, uh, he, said I, uh, he said, suddenly, he said, I got caught up. I got caught up by the Holy Ghost. And I was up, I went up, 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 and I started looking. I looked out over the entire nation. I could look down and see the entire nation. And I looked over, and Jesus was standing there right next to me. And I'm looking down there, and I see the entire nation. And all of a sudden, I look, and I see this, I see this um, giant hand come up out of the Atlantic Ocean. Okay? And then I saw that hand, it, it turned into a cloud. And I saw this dark cloud, and it began to slowly creep across America. And it began to sweep, and it went through the eastern seaboard, and it began to come across the middle part of the nation, heading you know, for the, the west coast. And he said, I said, dear Lord, what is that? What is that? And he said, I saw it was this darkness coming across the land, and everywhere it went, there, was, there were riots, and there were cities on fire, and there, were, there was brothers against brothers, and there was all this mess going on all the way across our nation, 1963, Okay. I know we had the, we had the, the, the fires in 1969, 1970, and Harlem and Watson, Detroit, and all that. I remember watching that on TV. We had a lot of stuff going across our nation, but I'm thinking this maybe was something different. And he said he, uh, he uh, was watching this. Finally, he said, oh, dear Lord Jesus, what is this? What is this? He said, what you're watching, he said, is there evil men, in, uh, evil, powerful men in some places that are standing behind this, causing this to happen. What you're watching is atheistic communism, communism beginning to sweep across your land. And it's, it's, it's moving all the way across. And um, he said, uh, dear Lord, and he said, I saw war and destruction. I saw all these bad things happening. He said, I, I said, Lord, is there anything we can do? Is this all we got to look forward to? And he said, all of a sudden I looked up and he said, I saw coming out of heaven, I saw, started out on talking about fire. He said, I saw this giant ball of fire coming out of heaven. And it's coming out of heaven. I'm seeing all kinds of horrible stuff, probably pandemics and COVIDs and, and, and riots in the streets and cities on fire. And we've seen all that in the past couple of years. I don't know. But he said, all of a sudden, I saw this giant ball of fire coming out of heaven. And he said, the, further, the closer it got to earth, the bigger it got. And he said, all of a sudden, it hit America. Giant ball of fire. And when it did, it exploded into the fire of the Holy Ghost landing on believers all the way across the nation. He said, I, he said that people, believers, I don't mean apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, I mean believers. Same thing Tommy Hicks saw in that vision, the dream he had three times in one night, 1961, when he saw the body of Christ as a, a, a sleeping giant. 
and, and, it, it, and it stood up on its feet and it melted all over the earth and became the body of Christ with millions of people with, with uh, this liquid fire coming out of their hands and whoever they laid hands on started getting healed in their bodies. He saw that in 1961. We're not there yet, but we're, headed, we're on our way. But he saw this giant ball of fire. He said, he saw it. I saw it hit earth, and it began. It just exploded, in, and he said that fire came on people all over, came on believers all across America. And he said all that war and all that destruction, he said, I saw the church rise up with the fire of God. He said it began to sit on their heads just like the day of Pentecost. He said, I saw it in their hands. He said they started going forth and laying hands on the sick, ministering to people, bodies getting healed, lives getting changed. And he said it swept all the way across the nation, changed America. People started taking that fire and going overseas, going to other nations. He said, I saw a move of God sweep the nations of the earth in the last days. I'm, I'm convinced that's where we are. That's where we are. So the wind that blew on the day of Pentecost is about to blow again. The fire that fell on the day of Pentecost, it fell upon each one of them. Didn't matter how many there were, as many as were there, the fire of God fell upon each one of them, empowered them. That's where we are right now. We are, God is equipping us. He's, he is, um, he's getting us ready for what he's getting ready for us. We're headed into, we are headed into the most major move of God. We talked about this this morning in the 830 service. I'm very convinced. I'm totally convinced, okay, that we're, we, we're heading into the most major move of God planet Earth has ever seen. It's going to be bigger than anything we've ever seen. More miracles than they saw in the land of Egypt. Greater healings than we saw in the healing revival from 1947 to 1958. I, I've read about some of those. I've read about some of those miracles. My goodness, when the power of God fell in a healing revival, a lot of that's what we're going to see in the days to come. Healing's the dinner bell for the gospel. It's the greatest tool the church has to reach the lost. It's the preaching of the gospel. We just need something to get the lost attention, and healing does that better than anything. Healing shows the mercy of God. Miracles show the existence of God. Healing shows the mercy of God. Yeah. We're about to step over into some things. I say about because it hasn't hit yet. I think there's a few more adjustments the church world's probably going to need to make along the way. But as we get some of those made, we're going to see a Holy Ghost explosion. Maybe that's that ball of fire he talked about that hit planet Earth that he saw, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, saw in that vision in 1963. I don't know. Dave Wilkerson in the 80s saw, saw a, a pandemic hit the city of New York and spread all across the nation, shut down government, shut down churches, shut down restaurants, shut down everything. He saw that in the 80s. He said, and it'll happen. It'll come to pass. But after it does, he said, I saw a move of God break forth. And he said, it swept, it swept America and it swept the world. It turned, into a, it turned into a global revival. I'm telling you, I don't care what it looks like out there. Something's in the works. Something is in the works. You know, when a move of God hits, I'm getting a little sidetracked here, but that's all right. When a move of God, when we talked about revival this morning, and when, when a real revival, which is a restoration of the presence of God, when that lands on a nation or a people or a group, it's a restoration of the presence of God to the degree the community knows God's there without anybody saying a word. How would you like to have some, such a move of God? You don't have to advertise. You don't have to put up billboards and you don't have to go online and encourage people. You don't have to twist people's arms to get them to go to church. You just have to figure out where to put all the people. Move of God shakes. I mean, in the, I believe it was Evan Roberts um, in the, uh, over in the United Kingdom, over in, in England and Wales over there, Evan Roberts, just a young man, and God used him to take a real revival to the nations over there. Actually, it was a, it was a forerunner to what we had uh, here in America on Azusa Street. 
Okay, they were writing Devin Roberts, asking him to pray for some of them if I heard it right. And, um, you know, so, but, but um, the move of God hit over there in that part of the world so strong that uh, they, they did, the police didn't know what to do because they, could, they, they, they couldn't find anybody to put in jail. Everybody was in church. They couldn't find anybody to arrest. People weren't committing crimes. They went out with the places they used to go and all the places they used to find all the bad people doing bad things were all closed down and all the patrons were in church. The police finally had to form gospel quartets and go to churches and sing. And, ch and I'm not sure that's a good idea. But, but uh, you know, something, something major happened, okay, in that kind of revival. And then we see the, uh, we see the, uh, Azusa Street, you know, out there with Brother Seymour in Los Angeles. You know, there's a book out called They Told Me Their Stories. It was, it was really a book um, with the stories of people who were young children in Azusa Street that got the stories to somebody before they went on over into heaven, and they talked about what it was like in the Azusa Street Revival. Now, I always thought it was just basically people praying, getting baptized in the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. I thought that's what it was but got to finding out from some of these people that were children in those days. You know, I, I noticed in a lot of things we're hearing about, there's a great move of God that started taking place on the children and the youth. Yes. We just got some, an email this morning from uh, France. There was a revival there in the 1600s. I made a mistake one time of saying to some friends over there, I said, you know, France has never had a major move of God. Boy, they had fire in their eyes. And they said, yes, we have. <laughs> And so they sent us some information. And I'm telling you what, in the 1600s, the power of God fell on a group called the Huguenots, and, and the, the power of God fell on the, the children, on the kids. There was one young lady, she'd fall asleep, and all of a sudden they'd hear her speaking in a foreign language, and then she'd interpret it into French, and she'd prophesy about things happening in the nation. I think it was an 11-year-old girl. God started visiting the young people. He's going to visit the young people again. You just watch. He's going to visit the youth. He's going to visit the kids. Somebody once said, when you see the Holy Ghost coming on the children, you'll know Jesus is standing at the door. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But anyway, but the kids, you know, they grew up and gave their stories to some people that compiled all this and, and, and uh, wrote the book. But they said the kids, the kids would go to these meetings in Azusa. It wasn't a big place. They said the power of God gets so thick in there, the glory of God. Remember back in the Old Testament, the glory of God had to come in like a cloud? Okay, sometimes like a, a cloud, like a mist, like a fog, like a fire. Sometimes the glory of God would come in where people could see it. They said in, that, in those meetings, this wasn't just people getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. This was the power of God coming into that place so thick that the kids would come and bring glass jars with them to try to get some of that glory and put it in the, in the jar and take it home with them. I'm looking for services where it gets so thick that you want to put some in jars and take it home with you. I've been in some meetings like that. I was in a meeting, we were in a meeting like that in uh, Minnesota, probably 25, 28 years ago, something like that. The glory of God came in that place so thick, I headed down the aisle right over here to go pray for somebody, and all of a sudden, the glory fell in that place. It was so thick, it was like being in a thick fog, I couldn't see where I was going. I had to stop, I couldn't find the chairs, I couldn't find the people. It was like walking in the thickest fog I've ever been in. It was the manifested glory of God. But think about these kids, these kids coming, coming to church. I'm telling you what, something's happening, the kids like to get in the middle of it. 
When these kids, they were going to church carrying glass jars with them to try to get, they'd crawl under the chairs when that glory came in and try to fill, fill the jars with glory to take it home. Now, I never did hear if that worked or not. <laughs> but they said when that glory came in, they'd head toward the back where the wheelchair section was, and it wasn't the adults, it was the kids. They'd head back to the wheelchair section, and they'd grab hold of people by the hand, and the kids were pulling folks out of wheelchairs. People were getting up walking. <laughs> All manner of sickness, all manner of disease. The kids were pulling people out of wheelchairs and running up and down the aisles. Kids would find people who, you know, they, they'd lost so many teeth in their mouths. Kids would walk up to people who lost all their teeth, stick their finger in their mouth and watch them grow brand new teeth right in front of them, all the way across. You know, he hasn't figured, he hasn't lost uh, the recipe for all that. If he's ever done that, he's, Jesus is what, the same Yesterday, today, and forever. I, I'm going to get back to something in a minute here, I think. But, you know, we need to understand. The, uh, the Old Testament, the prophet said, I, I've heard the elders say, God, what you used to do. God, it drove me to my knees. I'm asking you, God, whatever you did for them, do it again. We need to hear what used to take place. Not to say, oh, wasn't it wonderful. We need to hear what used to take place so we know what to expect in our day and tomorrow. There's, a, there's a, a friend of mine, I haven't talked to him in probably a couple of years now, um, a, a fellow, he lives in the Dallas area. <clears throat> His name is Buford Dowell. Long story. I, I called this fellow up, I was looking for, he, he, he sells tents. And we were looking for something, we were in a building project, and we needed somewhere to put all the people while we were building in our auditorium. And somehow I found this guy's phone number, and I called him up, and I said, I don't know who you are, but... I believe you, uh, I've heard you, you, you sell tents or rent tents or something. He said, uh, yeah, I do. What do you need? I started talking to him. He said, wait, 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 wait. Wait a minute, wait a minute. And all of a sudden, he starts prophesying to me. I've never had anybody any more accurate. He prophesied wh exactly where we were, exactly where we were going. He prophesied for probably five minutes. He stopped and he said, who are you? I said, it doesn't really matter. All I know is, you. and so anyway, we've kind of formed a friendship around that. And, um, but he, uh, he, he tell, you mind if I tell a few stories here? <laughs> Good, I'm going to do it anyway. Now, he and he's probably, I'm guessing, probably mid to late 70s now, something like that. And, uh, but uh, lives in the Dallas area. His dad was one of the healing evangelists from the healing, the healing movement, the voice of healing in the 40s and 50s. And he got talking to him. He said, whatever you're doing in Tulsa, keep doing it. He said, my dad did all kinds of meetings in Tulsa, did a lot of what they call tent meetings and evangelistic outreaches. He used to do it pretty regularly. And he said, there's about three cities, he told me, that God's going to visit in the last days. And he said, Tulsa's going to be one of them. I said, okay, good. Made a mental note of that. But anyway, anyway, he started telling me his story one time. So while we're talking about telling stories, the kids in Azusa, Buford, he said, when, when I was a kid, he said, one of the major healing evangelists in, um, we're still on Pentecost. I'm, I'm not off my subject, okay? Pentecost was an outpouring of the power of God, all right? God equipped them, all right? Now, he, uh, Buford said, he said, I, I was a kid, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 years old, I'm not real sure. And he said, uh, a, uh, one of the, this particular healing evangelist, if I mentioned the name, everybody would know him. Uh, in fact, I, I think it was Jack Coe. A lot of people know of the man. And uh, he said he, he, uh, he, was, he had a, 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 a ministry base and he had a Christian school and he said my dad was connected with him. He said, so we, 
we, so we had a, um, I was going to the Christian school. And he said one day, <clears throat> one day, uh, the teacher, somebody came to the door of my classroom and said, uh, Buford, get Buford, bring him in here. Jack wants to see him. So he said they came, got me, took me into Pastor, you know, Brother Jack Coase, took me into his office. And he said, uh, he said sit, you know, sit down, son. He said, so I, I sat down there. And he said, uh, I'm uh, about to go on the road, going out, doing a lot of meetings. And he said, uh, I, I've got an I've got a organ player in the church here, in the ministry we've got. And he said, he's really good. He's, but he said, I need him on the road. He said, but we need somebody back here at the home base. I need him on the road. He's going on the road with me. He said, so I need somebody to play the organ here, and you're the one. He said, what he didn't know was I decided to try to learn to play the keyboard one time. My parents got this little keyboard for me to play. They got somebody to give me lessons, and after about two or three, he said, get rid of the keyboard. That boy will never play anything but the radio. <laughs> he can't play anything. He can't play a note. He doesn't know anything about music. He can't, he can't play music. He's never going to. He said, you might as well get rid of that keyboard. He said, so I told, you know, Brother Cole that, uh, you don't understand. I can't play anything. He said, I don't care. Get ready because you're going to play. He said, oh, I just don't. I've, he said, so I went home and told my parents. And they said, I don't think so, you know. But he said, you know, they were in, they were in a revival. I'm, I'm picking up where we were this morning. They were in a revival. They were in the healing revival. went from 1947 to 1958. They were in a healing revival. And he said, uh, he said uh, Jacko, that I was, you know, my dad was working together with him. And he said, uh, he said, he had these meetings. He said, the miracles we saw, the miracles we saw. Uh, Janet, my wife, her dad and her uncle were in meetings they had in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and um, um, in the 50s, had a meeting down there, lasted seven weeks, lasted seven weeks, and in seven weeks' time, her uncle was telling us before he went to heaven, he was telling her, telling her he said, in those seven weeks, he said, I saw every kind of miracle in existence. Anything you can imagine, I saw it. I saw people getting up off out of stretchers. I saw, I saw them getting out of wheelchairs. I saw every manner of sickness. I, anything you can think of, I saw it healed in those seven weeks of meetings. And as a result of that, 5,000 people got born again in seven weeks, and they started to church out of that. That's what, that's what was going on in those days, and we're headed back into a move like that. Don't think small anymore. We're on the edge of something. It's going to shake the church and rattle the world. We're heading into something, and healings and miracles are going to be a, a major part of it. So anyway, Buford said, I was in a meeting one night, and I'm thinking, I don't know how, I don't know how I'm going to do all this. I can't play the keyboard. I can't play that. I, can't, I can barely play the radio. I can't play anything, and this man wants me to be the keyboard player in his church here and wherever they were. And he said, uh, he said, I, I, uh, I watched Jack Coe. He said, I was sitting there watching in, in a meeting one night. And he said, he walked over and there was a lady there that had this giant goiter on the side of her neck. Giant goiter. He said, Coe had her stand up. He didn't lay hands on her and tell her to be healed. He said, he had this lady stand up. He, uh, I don't recommend you do this, by the way. But he said, he backed up. He took one hand. He swung around, grabbed that goiter, grabbed hold of it and yanked on it and tore it off her face her neck and said when he did all of a sudden the minute he did that there was brand new like baby skin underneath instantly there was no you couldn't tell anything had ever been there like brand new brand new skin under that took that goiter and threw it away said he walked a little further down the row here's a fellow bowed over like that woman in luke the 13th chapter bowed over together could in no wise lift up himself bowed over together with arthritis he said i saw jack co pull him out said sir stand up here 
He went over there. He got behind the guy, got hold of his shoulders, put his knee in the middle of the guy's back, and yanked like that. He said you could hear the guy scream all the way through the tent. <laughs> Do things like that, you better know what you're doing. <clears throat> said you could hear that guy scream all the way through the tent. But he said he grabbed hold of his shoulder, stuck his knee in his back, and just yanked like that. Said when he did, that guy straightened out, gave a holler, and took off running, instantly perfectly healed and whole by the power of God. He said, he said, I looked at that, and I said, dear God, if you can do that with that lady with the goiter, if you can do that for the man with the back problem, you can teach me to play the organ. He said within a matter of, I think, six months' time, he said, I was playing organ not only in the church, he was taking me to Madison Square Gardens. I was playing the keyboard. He was on the platform at John Osteen's church for years. Everybody down there knew Buford Dowell. They put the organ in the middle of the platform. He said, all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost came on me, and I could play anything, anytime, any keyboard. He said, I knew it wasn't my ability, but if I figured if God could do that for a goiter and a back, he could give me whatever ability I need. But it was a move of God. It was a revival. All things were possible. We're coming back into that. The impossibilities just go away. Hallelujah. What do we need? We just need, a, we just need another Pentecost. We just need another in, fresh infilling, outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We just, we just need the fire of God to be poured out again. We need the wind of the Spirit to blow in again. Hallelujah. And it's coming. God's getting us ready for what he's getting ready for us. So now, where was I? I was somewhere in here. Pentecost? I was Pentecost. I think that was it. So, <laughs> Hallelujah. So anyway, anyway, you look back here uh, in, in Pentecost. Jesus told his disciples, tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Didn't know what they were headed for. They, they didn't know. But uh, here they are in the upper room, 120 of them, praying. They're there for best we can tell about seven days, maybe. And... Uh, and it says in the scriptures, now when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire and sand upon each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. God changed the world right then. God had, had, had he, he provided the new birth, he provided the supernatural, he provided miracles. Now he's got to have something to launch the church to the nations of the world. What did he do? He got them all filled with the Holy Ghost. Pentecost changed the world. I'm going to read something to you. Um, uh, I've got it here somewhere. Yeah, there's a, I mentioned in this morning, a man named uh, John G. Lake. God used him mightily, mightily. Raised up seven, 600 churches, had healing rooms in Spokane, had over 100,000 documented healings in a five-year period. God used this man mightily. He, 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 knew, he knew how to cooperate with the Holy Ghost. But I got this. He, he, in one of his books, I wrote this down, and I've car I carry it with me all the time. He wrote this down, and he said in his later years, he said an angel appeared to him in a vision. Saw this angel, and he said, in this vision, this angel said, reaching for the Bible... He opened the book to the book of Acts. And he ran his finger down over the second page, that portion where the Spirit of God came down from heaven, proceeding through the book of Acts to its great outstanding revelations and phenomena. He said, this is Pentecost as God gave it through the heart of Jesus. Strive for this, contend for this, 
teach the people to pray for this, for this and this alone will meet the necessity of the human heart, and this alone will have the power to overcome the forces of darkness. So an angel came and brought him that message. I wrote that down, and I thought, never underestimate the power of Pentecost. Never underestimate the power of, uh, of, the, of the, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. So anyway, anyway, God got, you know, 120, got them all filled, and then what happened was, why, why does God need, why does he want to get us filled? What's, what's the purpose? I've got a couple things I want to cover, and then we're going to move on to something different. What is the purpose? Well, first of all, getting baptized in the Holy Ghost, getting saturated with the Holy Ghost, filled with the Holy Ghost, you know, first thing it does is it, it, um, uh, it launches to the nations of the world, or we'd say to the lost. Remember back there in uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told the disciples, he said, uh, he said back there, he said, you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. Okay, so the first thing is to take the church world and launch us to the lost. Okay, you know, Holy Ghost-filled, Bible-believing, tongue-talking people ought to be the greatest soul winners on earth. You know, we're the ones that have received this endowment of power from on high. We ought to be the greatest soul winners on planet earth. You know, I never have been able to understand it. I got saved in college. I mentioned that this morning. I was in a, uh, two different particular uh, groups, college groups, not full gospel groups. We went soul winning all the time. We did beach projects in Florida. We went to, to dorm rooms. We went to fraternity houses. We, we went soul winning everywhere. We got people born again right and left, all that. I went back home for the summer. I went to a Pentecostal church, got filled with the Holy Ghost, and all of a sudden, I quit soul winning. I got more interested in praying in tongues or something. Well, that's important, but I'll tell you what. Why should we get the power to be soul winners and not be soul winners with the power? That's what that's for. Now, what else? What, what should we expect? What, why does God want to get us filled with the Holy Ghost? What does that do? Well, number one, it empowers us. Number two, it gives us commu a direct communication to God. It's like getting back to the Tower of Babel. I mean, we, we have a hotline to heaven. Why? We pray in other tongues. He that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men but unto God, for no man understands him. How be it in the Spirit? He speaks mysteries. Something about it. I remember. I remember. I didn't know what this was all about. They didn't do this in the church I grew up in. We didn't know whether there'd be any Holy Ghost. Okay? So I gave my life to Jesus at college. You know, I knew some full gospel people back in my hometown. Good folks, you know. But they're, you know, they're a little, a little crazy. You know, and um, <clears throat> I just didn't know. But uh, I just decided I'm going after that. I'll tell you what, I went to a church Thursday morning, re retirees prayer meeting on a Thursday morning. And I went in there, and there's probably oh, eight or ten people in there, small Pentecostal church. And I went in there, and they said, what do you need? I said, oh, whatever it is you got, I want that. Man, it's like a fresh candidate. <laughs> Next thing you know, they had me on my knees. They had me at the altar. I had people saying, hold on. Others let go. I had people holding my hands up. Some are saying, speak it out. Some, I had people give me all kinds of directions. I finally got so wore out. I said, God, I got to get out of here. These people are driving me nuts. And all of a sudden, a wind blew through that place, and I found myself praying in tongues. That was 1973, and I've been praying in tongues ever since. Amen. Direct communication to God. When I know not what to pray for as, the, as I ought, the Spirit helpeth me. I'm so thankful for the helper. The greatest helper he is is in the area of prayer. When you, when you know to pray, you just don't know what to pray for. you got a helper, okay? All right, now, 
Now, what else might it be? You know why else God wants us to get filled? We're, we're heading somewhere with this. You know why else he, he wants us um, equipped with the Holy Ghost? Why Pentecost is so important? Because it'll change you. You know, that's what happened when I got saved. I, I, got, I got changed when I got saved, but I got changed all over again when I got filled with the Holy Ghost. Man, it was like being saved again. I can still remember that. All of a sudden, major changes start taking place in my life. Man, I, I, you know, I, I was dealing with some stuff. I was trying to shake, get rid of some grave clothes, so to speak, from getting my life right with God. There was some stuff hanging on. Couldn't seem to get rid of some stuff that was hanging on. I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, started praying about an hour a day, and in a couple weeks' time, stuff couldn't stick to me anymore. I was, what do you call a Teflon Christian. Man, this stuff was just falling off, stuff I couldn't get rid of for a year's time. And all of a sudden, I'm not trying to get rid of stuff anymore. It's just falling off of me. It'll change you. Remember Peter back there. Remember back there when Jesus is going to the cross and these young maidens come up and said, don't you know him? Peter said, never seen him before. Denied, didn't deny Jesus to the Roman soldiers, denied Jesus to these little maidens, you know? He couldn't, he couldn't witness to anybody, okay? But, 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 here comes Pentecost. He gets baptized in the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. All of a sudden now, he heads, they go rocking and reeling down the steps out into the streets. He stands up in front of the whole city and he starts preaching Jesus. And the one that couldn't witness to a little girl now gets 3,000 saved in his first altar call. And he's going, this, really wor this works. So then we see him in Acts, the, the uh, second chapter, and he goes to, um, he's going into the temple with John. And there's a man laid daily at the gate to ask alms. Here's Peter that couldn't witness to a little girl, stops and looks at this guy and says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Took him by the right hand, pulled him to his feet. His feet and his ankle bones received strength. He took off running, leaping, and praising God. Ran into church. This is the bunch that just crucified Jesus. Runs in there. These people see this guy running laps around the, the prayer meeting. This is the one they've been walking past for 40 years while he's asking for coins. And they ran together and said, what does this mean? Here's Peter that couldn't witness to a little girl, but now he's been to Pentecost. And he stands up and he says, I'll tell you what this means. It means this Jesus that you crucified, him God has raised from the dead, and his name through faith in his name has made this man whole that you see and know. He preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and now he gets 5,000 saved in his second altar call. He couldn't witness to a little girl one minute. The next minute, he's got 8,000 people saved in his first two altar calls. Being baptized. Pentecost will change you. What's this? This is, not, this is not just about being able to pray in tongues every morning. Yes, that's part of it, but it goes way beyond that. God's looking for a people to not only get filled, but stay filled. Okay? Now, what, what is the power of Pentecost? It's getting filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, I wondered about that for a long time. I thought, what do you, God, what do you mean by filled? So I began to look that up. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I looked it up. And the word filled means uh, imbued. I said, God, that doesn't help me much. What does imbued mean? I looked up imbued. You know, sometimes you look up a word, and you have to look up the word to find out what the word meant. I looked up imbued. It means permeated or saturated. God's needed a pe God needs a people that will not, not only get saturated, but stay saturated. 
That's what Pentecost is all about. It's God taking a people, born again, baptized in the, you know, gets, us, uh, gets the well of living water springing up within. We're new creatures in Christ. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. We've got a great message. We've got a, we've got a great truth. He's needing a people to get so saturated with the Holy Ghost that you can't hold us back. That's what he's looking for. Hallelujah. So, so think about that. Take that word filled and change that to saturated. Okay? How about Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, where Paul says back there, he says, um, uh, he says uh, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, word is excess, but be saturated with the Holy Ghost. Be being saturated. Don't get saturated once. Get resaturated every day. Be being saturated. Be being saturated. Could God, can God saturate a person? Well, let me ask you this. How about Acts the 19th chapter, verses 11 and 12, where God wrought special miracles through the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought to the sick handkerchiefs and, and aprons and the diseases departed from him, the evil spirits went out of him. If God can saturate a piece of cloth in the ministry of Paul, don't you think he can saturate your life? I don't know about you, one more, just one dose of the Holy Ghost is not enough for me. I need a fresh dose. I need, I need a fresh refilling. I need a fresh infilling. Once isn't just enough. I need, I need it on a regular basis. We had meetings for about five years, Holy Ghost rallies. Power of God had come in so thick some of those times, we'd go back home, go back, you know, head for home after the meeting. There were nights I'd wake up about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, so saturated with the Holy Ghost, my body was just shaking, shake all over. I said, God, whatever this is, I'll take a double. You know? There's something about that. The word filled means to be saturated, permeated but saturated. Can God saturate a person? Well, how about that story back there when you've got Elijah and Elisha? Elisha wanted a double portion, and uh, Elijah said, if you see me when I leave, you'll get it. And so he stayed with him, and Elijah got caught up in the whirlwind, went up into heaven. Elisha went out and began in his ministry and in his if you count it in Elisha's ministry he worked exactly twice as many miracles as Elijah did he got a double portion worked exactly twice as many except when he died he was one miracle short just one miracle well God's not a part way God one miracle short they took his body put it into a tomb you know sealed it up and all that well and here now the uh, Israelites are in war and the, the you know the uh, midnight somebody's coming after him and this guy gets killed in battle. Well, they don't want to drag his body along. They're going to get killed along with him. So his friends found this tomb. They didn't read the uh, inscription on it. I think it would have said, Elisha here, one miracle short. <laughs> He'd been gone long enough that there was nothing left there but bones. But they got to get rid of this body. This guy's dead, and they got to run because the enemy's coming after him, going to kill all them. So they just roll the stone back, and they drop him down into the tomb, and he lands on Elisha's bones. Elisha's one miracle short. He walked in the anointing all of his life, and when he died, it ain't over till it's over. And this guy, this dead guy, lands on Elisha's bones, and the Bible said when he did, he revived. <laughs> And can you imagine these guys running from the enemy and all of a sudden they look up and their dead friend is running after them going, wait for me, wait for me. You know, if, if, God can, if God can saturate a dead man's bones to the point somebody can land on him and get raised from the dead, if he can saturate a piece of cloth in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, if God can do all that, he can saturate you and me. 
that's what, that's what Pentecost is all about. It's not just getting filled, it's staying filled. I think we just need to move on with this. I think we've gone far enough. I think we need to have a fresh refilling service. Now, if you're satisfied, that's fine. But if you're not, if you're hungry and thirsty, you get filled. Okay? That last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and let him drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scriptures have said, out of his belly, he that believes on me. He that believes on me. He that believes on me. Okay? If any man thirst, let him come unto me and let him drink. If any man thirst. See, if you're not thirsty, it doesn't work. If you don't come to him, it doesn't work. But if you're thirsty and you come to him, he says, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and let him drink. He that believes on me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I don't know about you, I'm, I, you know, it's, it's been a crazy two years. It's time for refreshing. It's time for reviving. We've been through a lot of craziness. I don't know, I, I, I was thinking about this the other day, and I thought the devil went after the, the world, went after the church, but I think more than anything, shut down churches, made people stay home, got folks quarantined, quarantined, all this going on. I think the main thing the devil was doing was going after the presence of God. Because he knew if he, could, if he could get us to not get together, we would not have an outpouring of the presence of God. I think he's just smart enough to know, I think he was going after the presence of God. I think he knew how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. I think he knew that if the church would get back together, we lost presence off and on for two years, but the churches, and we're watching it. The uh, Bible said watch and pray. I try to do a lot of both. But we're watching. We're seeing churches worldwide, global churches, that people are coming back. But a lot of folks are coming back without their hunger. They're coming back without, they're not pursuing the presence of God. They're coming back satisfied to get back in the building, satisfied to get back in the church. That's not good enough. We need to get back and have the church in us. I, we are at a place right now, we've gone through two years of COVID, and they, now they've got monkey pox out there, and bird flu, and swine flu, and H1N1, all this stuff. It's going to be out there. Yeah. Stuff's going to keep coming, but it's not up to it whether we get those things or not. It's up to us whether we let those things dominate. We're going to have to rise up and go, enough's enough. You're not shutting me down again. Devil, you're not shutting the church down again. You got away with it once, but I'll tell you, it's about time the church rise up and become the church. We are the restraining force on the earth. We're the ones that have the name of Jesus. We've got the dominion. We've got the authority. We're the one that has Lord God Almighty. You're not shutting us down again in Jesus' name. Shoot your best shot because we know whom we have believed and we're persuaded he's able to keep that which we've committed unto him against that day. Hallelujah. We need to stand to our feet.